greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on today's episode of the podcast, it is just going to be a solo one. My co-host is currently feeling a little under the weather, so we might have a little bit of a shorter episode this week, but uh, we still wanted to make sure we got one out there for you. So we're going to talk about two movies that I've got to watch recently that I really enjoyed. One is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, and the other is actually on Netflix, which I've had a kind of a hit or miss um, relationship with some of the movies on there. I've found myself not watching a whole lot, um, but this one in particular I, I really enjoyed, and that is Assimilate, and the other film is A Dark Place, which is the one that is streaming on Amazon Prime. So we're going to kick it off first with Assimilate. Um, That's the one on Netflix. And I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer. It's my dad. He's been acting really strange. It's like he's a different person. Everything's fine, Kayla. What happened? Something hit me. you boys you the entire town's going crazy where we are maybe it's like mass hysteria or something Zach what is it see what's going on here, they'll send people to help. Oh, my God. 
All right, guys. So let's talk about this one. The basic premise of Assimilate is three friends making a web series about their town discover that their neighbors are being killed and replaced by creatures who are perfect copies of their victims. Now, this is very much kind of a uh, invasion of the body snatchers kind of remake. Um, It's it doesn't follow completely like how um, those two original movies and then invasion kind of go about. But the basic premise is is very much the same and it's updated for kind of the digital age. Um, so the the two friends um, played by Callum Worthy and uh, Joel Courtney, um, Zach and Randy are deciding like they're kind of bored enough with their hometown life that they want to have some fun before they uh, graduate and move on to bigger and better things. Uh, so they kind of set up these small hidden cameras and kind of walk about their town and, and film everything just to kind of show small town life. And um, I, I did kind of like that setup. Their their chemistry as friends really works. And I think that especially when um, Andy Matichak, uh, who plays Kayla, um, and you would recognize her from Halloween 2018, um, that they really do have this good chemistry amongst each other, that if, if these three didn't work so well together, that the film probably wouldn't be as enjoyable as as I found it um, when I watched it. So it, it kind of, you know, it, it's, it doesn't really go into too much detail about where the creatures come from. Obviously, it's kind of, you know, space related, uh, very much like how the or I believe it's the 70s version um, of Invasion of the Body Snatchers is kind of like more like a spore that uh, comes from space and then, um, you know, manages to evolve and then to make copies of people. Uh, but that's that's very much kind of where the similarities dis- disappear because whereas that movie more focuses it on on a macro scale this is facing it on a micro scale um so again the relationship is very much focused or the film is very much focused on on the on the main three characters uh you follow them through much of the film you have one kind of beginning segment with uh, Catherine McNamara playing a nameless um, girl who gets bit and she's trying to get a hold of her mom and then she gets attacked and that never gets kind of like readdressed. Now, another thing that doesn't um, get addressed with that opening thing is whether or not that is happening in the town or somewhere else, Uh, because you get a nice, interesting reveal near the end of the film um, that I didn't quite see coming. But after after I got there, I was like, oh, that makes total sense, especially with the whole premise that we've been set up with. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, again, the the main three characters, had they not worked so well together, I don't think I would have found this film as interesting. Um, you do have one of the deputies uh, played by uh, Cam Gigandet, if I'm saying his last name right, uh, Deputy Josh. He is really good and kind of plays like a nice little foil a little bit in the sense like, you know, they take some of their footage to him and because for some reason he's the only one to trust because the sheriff, they're they're not sure about 
especially when they start, you know, getting more suspicious about the pastor and, and kind of more of the heads of the town to say uh, that they go to him because he's not that far removed from them age wise. Like he used to be the high school jock. Um, there's even a scene where they're dealing with um, the quarterback at their high school who gets really mad because they filmed him buying beer and the sheriff allowed it and his dad watched the YouTube video. So he ends up getting grounded and, um, you know, and Josh ends up stepping in before he (laughs) pounds the two kids uh, into the dirt. But uh, things really start kind of more taking, um, or at least they start more moving once Kayla really kind of comes more into play in the film uh, when she approaches them and says, and apologies if you hear the the dog uh, crying in the background, she again wants to be out of her pen and that's all she's doing right now. Um, but uh, she, Kayla, wants uh, or is noticing that something is off with her dad. Um, she's worried about her mother and her little brother. And that's when things really kind of start picking up and, uh, we start seeing things more on a wider scale. Now, what this movie does, another thing that it does really well is it's subtlety. Um, if you're not paying attention to background characters, like early on in the film, I mean, there is one sequence where they're talking to, uh, you know, the hot single neighbor, um, And they notice that a woman is kind of pulling her son along and the son's going, you're not my mom and 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 all that. Um, But if you really don't pay attention to after that scene to things going on in the background, you might miss some bits where people are looking off and like they're they're either staring at the characters from a distance or you just know that things aren't aren't right. Um, So, again, I don't have a whole lot to say about it because I don't want to give anything really away. I feel like I might have kind of about the twist, but um, it's it's an hour and a half. It's a very short movie. Uh, well, not short, but I mean, it's a very tight film. It doesn't take long um, there. It, it really grabs you in with with the main characters and their kind of premise of shooting a web series. Um, you know, you get really invested in the characters, which some of these movies, I think, do a very uh, bad job at, especially some more of these kind of lower budget. And this is uh, produced by um, or distributed by uh, Gravitas Ventures, which has kind of a hit or miss record on some of the their movies. And I think that this is one of the few that actually really lands well Um the writers, uh, the writer and director, John uh, Murlowski, definitely made sure he had his characters feeling well fleshed out, um, that they they felt like real people. And you understood the dynamics between the characters. And when things like uh, Kayla's dad, you get kind of introduced to him earlier on in the film. And he's a nice kind of dad, dad type of guy. He makes a very dad joke. Um And then when you see the shift in his demeanor, when Kayla is worried about him not being her dad, uh, you can tell there's a difference. Like this isn't the man that we were introduced to at the beginning of the film. So I, I really have to praise it on it. Now, where it does kind of hurt a little bit 
and this is kind of a where the budget factor comes in a little bit is the CGI that they use. I think had we maybe not seen the creatures, like if if they had stuck more to kind of the the very small things we see kind of at the beginning where they kind of look like ants, um, and then maybe just like quick flashes of what they turn into when they're, um, you know, trying to get DNA from people to make the copies. Uh, I don't think we need to see the creature straight on. And I think when we do it, it doesn't look awful, but it is heavily CGI and it's not good CGI. So it, it takes you out of the realism a little bit where, most of this film is very grounded. Uh, the, the special effect works that they do or the practical work that they do is really good. Um, in fact, there's one scene in particular that I really liked how they shot it, and it's with the flipping of a trailer house. And it, it feels so real. It feels because they actually filmed the the trailer turning over um you know, it, it feels real. You understand it's real. Everything's moving how it would if you were in that situation yourself. So I, I when it goes to the more um, CGI heavy effects of the film, it takes you out of it a little bit because the, the town is real. The sets are real. The people are real. But then when it gets to the kind of alien or creature side of things, it looks a little bit less because especially when it directly focuses on it. Um, when it's kind of more of a, a quick glance or a side thing, uh, then it, 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 it's more passable. But when it's a direct on kind of shot and it lasts for a couple seconds, it, it takes you out of it a little bit. But those are kind of far and few between. There aren't a whole lot of mo- uh, moments like that. And I think that, you know, of course, goes to the budget and budget constraints. So I really have to applaud the filmmakers and doing what they did with uh, a fairly small budget um, like they had, especially, like I said, a Gravi- Gravitas Ventures. They're very low budget films. They're kind of like Wild Eye releasing on, or um, Uncorked Entertainment. Uh, so they're not working with massive budgets. And I think, again, the director and writers, they focused more on character work and fleshing out the world that the characters lived in. That That's why this kind of sense of realism um, really worked for me. And when they kind of go a little bit outside of that box, that's when it kind of frays a little bit. Um, I do wish the movie was a little bit longer. Uh, I think that the ending is supposed to be a gut punch. Um, but there have been too many, even independent films. And one that come, kind of comes to mind is man versus, uh, which is another very good kind of lower budget horror film. Um, I, I know the actor's name, but I can't say it and I'm not going to, uh, <laughs> disgrace him on the podcast. But again, that one, like that one had the gut punch ending too. Um, and it worked for me, but this one, it worked, but it, it also felt like, OK, we need to know what's happening next. Now, I will say that it doesn't upset me a whole lot because they do kind of give you a little bit of a cliffhanger or an idea that they could make a sequel to this. Or at least there are ideas for 
the viewer to have after the film. I think we've talked about it several times on the podcast in the past that, you know, one thing that really kind of keeps me into a film or a film that really has me enwrapped in it is when I'm wondering about what happens after the events of the film. And this one has it. And it's like, oh, man, I would love to see a sequel to this. So this isn't a Netflix movie, but it is on Netflix. Uh, I've really had a hit or miss time with um, some of the films that are on there, especially when it comes to kind of the horror sci-fi aspect. Uh, there was one I was watching. I haven't finished yet. Probably not going to cover it on the podcast because it wasn't great, but I do want to finish it. And that's Alien Warfare um, because it's again, it's like a lower budget. It's just people having fun, you know, at least making a movie. But a lot of the other stuff doesn't kind of work really well with it. But this one blew me away. Um, it was a random decide to watch. I kind of kept seeing it pop up in my recommended on Netflix. And uh, last night I was finally like, you know what? Let's watch it. So uh, go check it out, even if you don't like it. And you, but you already have a Netflix uh, subscription. You're not really wasting any money. It's not a long film. Uh, I think most people are going to enjoy it. I think if you're looking for maybe a higher end cinema or a higher end version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, this isn't maybe going to do it for you. Or if you're such a huge fan of those, of those previous films, the the original, which I can't remember if that was the 50s um, or the 70s version with Donald Sutherland or even that kind of more updated 2000s remake with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. You may not enjoy this, but I, I can enjoy both separately. I think not knowing kind of beforehand that that's where this was going. Um, I enjoyed it more. So hopefully that my talking about it and explaining that it's kind of a reboot of that or a remake of that doesn't detract from you when you watch it. But I think you're going to have a good time. I think you're going to like it for the reasons I like it. I think the character work is what's so strong about this. Uh, kind of one thing in this, um, will come up in a later review, not on this episode, but one when Pat's back, cause, uh, we both watched this movie together. We both wanted to cover it together. So I'm not covering it solo. Uh, but they, they did try to kind of insert some things that were like, okay, this is, we're too far into the film to now try to be covering these bits. Um, so why bother introducing it? We know this character well enough that we don't need anything like that now. Um, okay. I am going to get into one kind of spoiler moment. So if you don't want anything spoiled for you, probably I'd say go ahead and jump ahead about mm, three minutes uh, just to be a little bit safe uh, so you don't get it spoiled uh, and go watch the movie and then kind of come back to this this portion here. Um, so spoiler alert, Josh, I could have sworn was still going to end up being one of the clones. Um, I was going to think that it was, you know, being clever enough to say, oh, no, I took care of my clone and that way lure them into a false sense of security. And I didn't quite like how they uh, finished off with his character because I it was just so quick and we didn't really get an aftermath. Um, so I, I just kind of wish that there had been a better bit around there. Um, but again, this movie is great. 
I'm going to give it a four out of five. Go check it out on Netflix. And again, apologies for the whining dog in the background. All right. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and move into my review of A Dark Place. But before I start talking about the film, I'm going to go ahead and play you the trailer. Say he wandered off into the woods somewhere. He didn't. Not Tyler. He scared everything. What are you trying to do? You trying to give your life some meaning? Or... He was an innocent little kid. Why didn't you call for an autopsy? Healthy people can still drown. Did you tell the police that? You don't know everything you think you know. You think I don't hate the way I am? You think I don't know what people think of me? Can you not see what you're doing? You ain't a smart man, Donald. You're making it worse. Are you Justin Ziegler? You a cop? Donnie, you need to stop. Hey, you left a note on my truck? Up to? Uh, investigator. Yeah. Do you have any medical conditions? I have to examine the body. I can show it to you. Are you crazy? You can't do this. But I would hurt the one. People's hearts are good. Sometimes we do bad things, but no one's truly bad. You're a good boy, Donald. No, I ain't. So the basic premise of this one is when a young boy goes missing in a sleepy backwoods town, a local sanitation truck driver, Donald, plays a detective embarking on a precarious and obsessive investigation. Now, this was another one I kind of came across randomly on Amazon and I watched the trailer and I was like, okay, this seems like a good kind of interesting thriller, uh, kind of noir-esque film. And I don't know what to expect from it. And as soon as I started it, I was just kind of enwrapped. Now, a lot of things kind of don't work. Um, it does take a lot of leaps and um, kind of glosses over some areas that I think had it been longer or maybe a little bit better written, it would have worked um, better for me. But overall, I still really enjoyed the film. And and Andrew Scott, uh, who plays Donald, is a very talented actor. And I think he is what makes this movie more captivating than I think it would have been without him. If you're not familiar with Andrew Scott, uh, he's been in a bunch of things. I know he was just in 1917, which we had planned to cover this week, but we didn't get a chance to, to get out and see it. Um, but he was also Moriarty in Sherlock. Uh, he is uh, the pastor on Fleabag. It's not one I've show I've not seen, but I know he's in it. Uh, and he's just been in a bunch of things. And he's a very talented actor. Um, it was really weird, though, hearing him use an American accent. So I think I did have a little bit of an issue kind of rectifying that in my head. But uh, he plays such a very innocent 
yet complex character. So he is definitely on the spectrum. Like I wouldn't say he's fully autistic, but he has certain issues developmentally. Um, he works as a sanitation driver uh, with his partner, who I believe is uh, yeah Donna, played by Brana Wow or Wow, uh, depending on how you pronounce her her last name, um, and. They have good chemistry. Uh, again, this this is one that works when the chemistry between two of the, the kind of central characters really works. Um, but Donald, he has a daughter uh, and with kind of the town floozy, you know, for lack of a better term, like she has kind of a reputation and. Um, and I think some of that needed to be that's where I had some issues because they kind of gloss over a lot of facts on that. Like he is absolutely in love with uh, kind of his, for lack of a better term, ex-girlfriend, um, Linda, played by uh, Denise, Denise Gao or G- Denise Go. Um she wants nothing to do with him. I guess it was kind of just a, a one night fling and she ended up pregnant and gave birth to their daughter who absolutely like adores her dad. But uh, Linda doesn't want anything with Don- like to deal with Donald or to do anything with Donald and, and kind of tries to stand as a roadblock in that relationship. But uh, like I said, like he is just kind of a very nice kind of calm guy who like or innocent guy rather innocent in the sense of like he he doesn't he doesn't see anything that he does especially later on in the film as necessarily him doing anything wrong all he wants to do is find out what happened to the young boy and this boy was on his route and would always wave to him and so as soon as he disappears and then is found dead later, like he inserts himself into the investigation. Like he wants to know what happened to the kid. And this involves him kind of impersonating a grief counselor, acting like a detective. Uh, and it causes a lot of problems for him on in the film. And it, and then this kind of, again, is this one is like a small town too. It's set in Pennsylvania. Um, and it's dealing with kind of small town secrets and, and, uh, very much kind of has like a little bit of a me too message in it, but not so much from a female perspective. It's more kind of from a male perspective and what, um, people in power have done to kind of protect it. Cause the one thing until you get kind of, you know, through to the reveal at the end of the film is why would this small town be trying to cover things up? Like why, why would the sheriff be, physically assaulting Donald to be like, drop it. We don't want to hear anything about this. We don't want anybody talking about this. The boy drowned. And yet there were other, you know, there was evidence to prove otherwise, you know, it was, it was very interesting. It's, that's where it kind of comes into that film noir aspect. And I really like film noir um, movies. I kind of like those dark gritty grimy, like morally gray characters. And and Donald ends up becoming that type of character. Now, it does kind of seem like a little bit of a stretch that a sanitation worker would be able to, especially a sanitation worker with a an evident handicap, like everyone knows who Donald is, or at least adult wise, 
uh, because he is able to kind of convince um, the older brother of of the kid that that dies that he's a grief counselor. And um, but everyone else is like, oh, we know Donald, like, you know, go back and work. So it, it just um that was a bit of a, a leap, uh, except for like when he goes kind of outside of their small town, when he kind of goes more, I believe it's either to Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. It's one of those two, uh, to reach out to an old friend from high school who now works in forensics. Uh, and there would be no reason that this friend would know anything about Donald, not necessarily being a detective. Um, but it does end up getting results. And, um, I, I really applaud Andrew Scott's work in this. Um, I think like he is what makes this movie work. Um, his relationship that he has with his daughter is also, uh, very, uh, endearing and you're, you know, you get the sense like, okay, this is him trying to be the best dad he can be. Like he's got it worked up in his mind that he's going to be able to reunite, himself with Linda like and and it ends up actually working against him because Donna who I think is a much better match for him who understands him who uh, helps him when he kind of gets more out of control or is kind of losing um, losing a little bit of control at one particular moment uh, and gets him kind of calmed down doing his uh, reciting of the presidents and their vice presidents to kind of get him calmed and relaxed uh, there is a little bit of a of a relationship there that she wants to kind of express further or explore further. But he has it all in his mind that, no, it's him and Linda. They're going to get married. They're going to be a family. Um, and again, that's kind of where this stuff needs a little bit more fleshing out. Uh, we we just don't get a whole lot of kind of the past history. We get a little bit of it. Um, but not, not enough like that, that satisfied me at least it might satisfy most people because they're more focused on the, the primary story function that he is investigating this kid's death. What happened to this kid and why did he end up dead? Um, there are moments though, where he does things, uh, that I feel like, had anyone done it in the actual real world, they would be thrown in jail immediately. Like at one point he threatens the kid's father, um, by almost running his truck in him, his truck over him essentially, or at least pinning him to another car. And then next day it goes about his business. Like nothing ever happened. He also at one point, um, this might be a minor spoiler, but it's, it's not a huge one. He exhumes the boy's body and, takes it to uh, the forensic uh, guy in, in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, and they still just manage to just go ahead and examine the body. Like, they don't uh, go ahead and, you know, like, arrest him or press charges and, like, seek uh, if the family wants to um, press any charges or, or if they want to hold him responsible for anything illegal that was done. Cause it's not legal to just go and dig up some, someone's body, especially, you know, without the, the permission of the parents, but yet kind of those pieces end up falling into place. And, and then there's kind of a weird, uh, relationship that he has with a cop, local cop that he went to school with, who kind of is the one who feeds him the information. Um, but that, at points then is kind of telling him like, I'll drop this. Don't do this. Like 
but hey, look here. This might be where you want to look. And so I, I don't know how I really felt about that. I think a lot of that part um, didn't work for me in the film. But the the kind of, again, small town, grimy uh, politics, even though it's not really politics, but just kind of the inner workings and what people will do to keep certain things secret. Um, the sheriff is is a really interesting character who doesn't get enough time, especially when you find some more things out about him. Um, and then you get to kind of the climax of the film, which I think the film ends pretty much perfectly. I, I, I don't think I would have ended it any differently or seen of a way where they could have ended it better. Um, and I, I, I kind of, although I, I feel like it may have been better if it had gone one way than it actually did. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't go that way. So, uh, I, you know, I can't complain with that because, uh, I did like the character of Donald and, um, I understood his motivations, his reasoning for why he was doing the things he was doing. So, I, you know, it's, it's neither here nor there. And especially with them kind of under, not underdeveloping the sheriff, but like not focusing on him enough to know maybe where he truly stood. Like we get why maybe he was protecting, um, certain people, but we don't know how he truly felt about things. So when we get to that kind of end, we're like, all right, either one of two things is going to happen and I'm more anticipating the one than the other. And it didn't quite go the way that I had expected it to, if that kind of makes sense. I don't really want to say too much about it because I don't want to really give anything away. Um, but again, like it was, it's very unconventional type of like film noir. Uh, you don't see someone like being a sanitation worker, especially with, Again, a handicap going around and kind of playing detective. But uh, it was interesting enough. It was different enough uh, that I really liked it. And I thought that it uh, it could have been better, but it definitely kept my interest for the whole hour and 29 minutes. I, this is one I think most film noirs need to run about. Uh, an hour and 45 to two hours. I think if you start going over two hours, you're, you're doing too much. But uh, I think you've got to really fully flesh things out. And I think that that's where the weakness was. Uh, I, th I think that they just kind of they threw a lot of different things in there. Um, now, they had their main plot and their main plot is fine. And how things work from point A to point B to point C uh, really, really work out well. But then there are moments that they just kind of throw in there. They're like, well, I'd like to know more about that, but we're not going to get anything about that. Or I'd like to let, know less about this. Uh, you know, there's kind of a, an, an incident where someone leaves him a note, uh, as you heard in the trailer. And he thinks that this is going to help get him information, but it ends up kind of getting very dangerous. And we never fully find out what the intent or not necessarily what the intent, the intent is very clear, but who set it up exactly? Like who brought these men to Donald? Um, but I can't complain too much with this film, uh, especially being one. I again, didn't waste any money on kind of came across on prime by accident. 
but really enjoyed. And um, I would just definitely recommend for other people to watch the, a similar one that I, I, I kind of came across. And I think I feel a little bit about the same. If I was really thinking before kind of putting everything together today, I would have covered this one as well. But the um, the Night Hunter, that is one that's currently streaming on Prime. I think I land on about the same uh, scale on these two. I, um, and when I really think about it, I think I have to adjust my my score. I think I originally was going to give this a four out of five. I think I'm going to give it a three point five. Um, primarily for those things that didn't quite work or those moments that needed to be fleshed out or characters that needed to be fleshed out a little bit more. Um, I think had those been addressed, if those issues had been addressed, uh, then I would have enjoyed it more. Um, it does kind of lose a sense of, of realism with him doing the things he does and not kind of pain for them or facing the repercussions uh, now, that doesn't remain fully true when you get to the end of the uh, of the film. But again, you're going and digging up a, a dead boy's body. And this boy is probably eight or nine and you're not going to jail. And 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 the forensic guy is still going to examine the body. I don't I don't feel like that's um, Realistic, Like that just doesn't in my mind scream, this is real life. This is real. world. Now, granted, we're talking about a film. It's fictional. Um, but when you're doing kind of a film noir crime thriller, it, it does kind of help to keep that sense of realism that this these things are working with inside the real world. It's not like it's a science fiction piece or a fantasy piece where, you know, you can kind of take some leeway with it, like Star Wars, when they're having direct communications, when in reality it would take, depending on their distance, you know, it could take hours or days even uh, to transmit a message across from one point in uh, in space to another point in space, depending on the distance. So uh, I, I still liked it. Um, I think it's definitely one I would recommend, especially if you're a fan of crime, uh, crime dramas or crime thrillers, as well as uh, a film noir fan. Um, I almost wonder if this would have worked better uh, as a as a book um, versus a film. But I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to talk into circles here if I can and keep going on to it. But again, the one main selling point of this film is Andrew Scott's performance. The man is a very talented actor. He does such an amazing job in here, uh, and you can't really go wrong with it. But I think I land on a 3.5 out of 5. Um, just check it out on, on Prime. And I think that's going to do it this week. I know this is a bit of a shorter episode, um, but again, my co-host is a little under the weather. We still wanted to make sure we got an episode out this week. We're trying to follow the guidelines to end up becoming um, Rotten Tomatoes approved critics. And one of the things is to release like four episodes a month. So that means, you know, we kind of got to keep it on a week to week basis. Um, we need to grow our audience more. We need, I, th I think we need to have about like a total. Uh, I can't remember. We have a certain have to have a certain amount of listeners and followers. Um, we need to have been going on for two years and stuff like that, that before we can kind of submit um, our application and to become Rotten Tomatoes, because I, I feel like the only way to kind of change that system is from within. Uh, I think you need to have 
uh, critics or independent critics um, kind of stand up for for films in, in general to you know really kind of uh, fix that system because I think it's very broken as we've seen with kind of the scores for for The Witcher or stuff with the recent seasons of Doctor Who, where there's kind of this, even with Star Wars, you know, that there's kind of this disparity between critics and the audiences. And, and my whole, and that's the whole point of this podcast. Like my, my whole point is to kind of approach film and approach these things from the audience perspective versus, um, I don't want this to sound negative and I'm not trying to trash any critics that currently work with Rotten Tomatoes or that are, you know, within the actual entertainment industry, but kind of snobbish, you know, kind of coming from a point of, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for from an air, like air of importance. Um, and which was kind of my criticism of Roger Ebert. Like the man is, is kind of a personal God, in the sense of like his film criticisms were what I listened to as a kid. Uh, if he didn't like it, I wasn't going to like it. And I think at a point, especially when he was working with uh, Siskel, uh, that they ended up hating, hating movies essentially. And I think that that's a big problem within film criticism now is it has become so much of a job for people because that's how that's their livelihood. That's how they make their money. And they lose a sense of enjoyment. And I, and, and Ebert redeemed himself um, because I think later on, especially after surviving the cancer, he rediscovered his love for film. And I, I think I've talked about this before. I know I've talked about it with friends. Um, you know, when I, I believe I know the movie perfectly, it was the possession and it was one that I did not really enjoy, but then I read his review on it and he loved it. And I'm, and, and I saw this kind of re reawakening, uh, of his love for film. And I think that that is what is currently the problem within film criticism today, that, a lot of people approach it from a work standpoint or from a how do I get more access standpoint instead of a let's look at the film. Let's see if we enjoyed anything about it. Let's talk about some of the shortcomings it has, but let's also not gaslight what we enjoyed about it, because I think that's the easiest thing to do is talk about what you hate about a film. But even if you hate it, there's usually some things that you actually enjoy about it, whether it be the actors, whether it be the lighting, the cinematography, the directing, the writing, you know, any of those factors could not necessarily fire for you, but some of the other ones could. And just because one piece might not work does not necessarily make the whole film invalid as a whole. So I, I really think that film critics need to re realign or readjust where they're coming from. Now, not everyone's like that. Not everyone that works on Rotten Tomatoes is like that, but I think it's more of kind of the mainstream line, uh, critics, like the ones who kind of like work for like the Chicago Tribune or New York times, things like those, like actual publications that they, that they are more doing it more from kind of a, an, access point of view where they're like, well, if I either talk too bad about this film, I'm going to lose my access to this, you know, from future screenings or, or things like that. Or if I talk great about this film, it's going to make it easier for me. So 
I have no evidence that really kind of proves that point, but that's just kind of a theory I've had or kind of where I see film criticism today. And um, so we're, we, we, we really want to, with this podcast, um, fix that. And I think with kind of Rotten Tomatoes system, we can be part of that change. We can maybe level the scales out a little bit more if we manage to kind of get ourselves in there. And it's not with a, a false hope of, I mean, I'm not going to lie. If it would allow us to kind of get access to bigger name screenings and stuff like that, I would enjoy it 100%, but I'm not going to allow that to um, corrupt my integrity. I'm still going to tell you what I thought about the film. I could go into 1917 and absolutely hate it. And I'm going to tell you what I think about it. I'm going to tell you what I liked about it. I'm going to tell you what I didn't like about it. Um, In my opinion, that's where film criticism needs to be. And regardless of what we put on scores, a 3.5 or was that a seven, a seven out of 10, whatever scores we put on it. Those are, those are subjective numbers. Those are just where we feel on a scale. It lies on ultimately it falls upon the individual viewer. All I can do is maybe recommend something that you as an audience might like, but also give you fair warning about things you might not like about it. And you might find that those things that I I found uh, wanting w- didn't bother you or maybe they worked for you. So that's it. That's all, you know, we try to do with this podcast is rather instead of tell you what to see, inform you on what's out there and what you may like as an audience. And I think that that's part of the problem right now within the industry uh, not just criticism industry, but but the film industry itself is they're not taking into account what audience actually audiences actually want. Um, they're just playing it by ear, seeing what can make the, the quickest buck. And um, that's why I champion indie cinema a lot, because these are things without, um, you know, major studio backing. And they make sometimes better content than what we get from a mainline um, studio. So, okay. I did not mean to kind of go on my soapbox and preach there for a little while. Um, so I probably ended up adding probably who knows another five, 10 minutes onto the podcast. But if you're not following us already on Twitter, you can follow us at critics and T cynics. Um, you can write into the podcast at critics, not cynics at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on any of the following, uh, Podbean. Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. I think we're also on CastBox. We're on something called, I think, Bullhorn. Um, You know, and if you follow us, please leave us a rating and a review. That really helps us kind of get more noticeable for a wider audience. Um, We're we're just trying to grow. We're a small podcast, obviously. Um, But I would like to kind of get our review number up to 10 on iTunes. And I think we've been sitting at six for a while. So, um, you know, if we can get four more people to write reviews on there uh, or leave star ratings, I would be very appreciative of it. Um, And I think uh, once we cross over the 2000 followers on Twitter, we're probably going to be doing another giveaway. Um, I don't know what it is currently at this moment, but I do have plans to do more giveaways. Uh, And like I said, we're 
possibly going to toy with the idea of doing a live show, um, but we might wait till we've got things kind of more uh, straightened out for that. Um, we do want to do kind of some themed episodes, maybe one or two themed episodes uh, a month. Um, so if you want to reach out to us with any suggestions of any movies or genres or even uh, a particular actor, you can either DM us on Twitter or you can write into the uh, into the Gmail account. Uh, Gmail email and uh, give us your suggestions there. We really would like to hear audience participation. Uh, We'd also like to hear from you guys. So if you guys want anything shouted out on the podcast, uh, we would more than be happy to. Uh, David's been really great with us kind of doing our interview and our review of his shorts and he's helped promote us and uh, we've developed a nice little relationship there and we'd like to develop more of a relationship with our audience and we'd like to grow our audience too. So if you have friends or family who uh, kind of tired with traditional film criticism and you think they might like this podcast, just share it around. We, you know, we'd appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this week and we'll see you next week.